Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. John Galloway is Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer for Godiva Chocolatier, the 95-year-old Belgian maker of premium chocolate. John joined the company in 2018 after nearly a 30-year career in marketing, including substantial time at Pepsi and Hard Rock. John came to Godiva from a position as CEO of Beautiful Day, where he worked for three years to roll out the lifestyle brand startup. Before that, he was with Hard Rock for eight years, handling advertising, PR, loyalty, and social media media for 208 hotel, casino, cafe, and music venues in 75 countries. At PepsiCo, he began with the Mountain Dew brand and worked in sports marketing, the integration of new acquisitions in other areas, concluding as vice president of marketing for Gatorade. John has a Bachelor of Arts in Marketing from Manhattan College and attended the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. In this conversation with Lippy Taylor CEO Paul Dyer, John discusses what the past year was like for Godiva as a brand, how they weathered the storm of 2020, and what is in store for them this year. Now, please give it up for John Galloway, CMO of Godiva. All right. Hello and welcome back. This is Paul Dyer, CEO at Lippy Taylor, and I'm joined here today by John Galloway, who is the Chief Marketing and Innovation Officer at Godiva. John, thanks for joining us. Wonderful to be here, Paul. Look forward to a conversation. Well, likewise, and I know that our listeners are also going to be really excited to, to hear what you have to share with us here today. But really, I thought we could start out, if you're all right with us with this, with just your personal story a little bit, because you have this exceptionally varied background, um, somebody who, who actually went to West Point, Right. And then has, has gone through pretty much every possible iteration of the marketing world, you know, marketing, PR, in-house agency, et cetera. But can you just kind of walk everybody through your story um, a little bit? Sure. So, uh, hey, in, in full transparency, I, I, I guess I, I break my story up into a number of parts. And you, and you mentioned West Point. Um, I grew up as an Army brat, um, which is a really important piece to my, to my life. But um, I did go to West Point. I lived on West Point. But not to mischaracterize the story, I left West Point and I, I had an army officer at West Point pull me aside one day and he said, John, you're a little bit too much of a poet for West Point. And uh, I <laughs> took that as a real, a real positive. Um, and I ended up sort of bouncing on that theory to the first part of my career on the agency side. And uh, it couldn't have been a more fabulous experience um, actually started working on the Army brand as my first brand out of, of college in public relations. Um, ran around for almost three years in a Miller Genuine Draft conversion van working for uh, the, the Miller business. And, and really out of that van did every kind of marketing you could do from radio promotions to hospitality and the like to hanging banners. And uh, I probably learned more in that three years than I than I have subsequently. Um, and then spent some time in-house at, at Pepsi on the agency side. And so, you know, you go from military background to agency to uh, eventually in-house at Pepsi, where they asked me to jump over the wall and uh, spent a good 14 years learning the CPG business at PepsiCo. Again, you know, sent me uh, many different places from London to Boulder, Colorado, to Chicago, to Purchase, New York. 
And eventually uh, down to uh, Orlando, Florida, I moved with my family to take a great opportunity to understand more of the brick and mortar business with Hard Rock International, which was all about, you know, again, different from CPG, where we were putting our product on somebody else's shelf. Here, we were bringing our experience to life in the world of hotels, casinos, cafes across the globe. And uh, two and a half years ago, um, I uh, got a call from uh, Godiva and uh, the, the rest is chocolate history for me and uh, have been here learning the chocolate business um, and a very omni-channel business it is for Godiva over the last two and a half years. It's a, an incredible story. And you know, I can't help but notice that you said you learned more in your three years driving around the Miller Genuine Draft truck you know, than you have subsequently. Uh, but we are here in 2021. Having having endured 2020, um, which was you know an extraordinarily difficult year for everybody, you've you've got all of this these things that prepared you for it. You know, from an army upbringing to you know all the experiences you just took us through. Um, so, what was your experience like in in terms of needing to needing to shift and change and and reprioritize and you know just facing the challenges of last year for Godiva? Just what was that like? I think it was it was certainly for everybody. I'm I'm sure much of of the same, but I think in the in the marketing world, um, we like to plan. Um, we like to put together an annual operating plan. We like to work with our media agency to have a media plan, right? We have a social media calendar of all the things that are going to happen during the course of the year, and we develop creative. We develop promotions in store. We set time to launch products with customers. And then COVID happens. And all of that planning um, seemingly goes out, out the window. And you know, we, we're, we're no longer in control of that. And I, and I think the biggest challenge for all of us was realizing we didn't realize sometimes what was coming the next day, the next month. Um, it, it became a, a huge dilemma. We, we actually, in the early days of COVID, after we shut down some of our stores, started planning for the reopening of our stores. Um, we started planning, thinking, hey, this is going to be a month. This is going to be a month and a half. We started creating the welcome back point of sale kits and get people back in those stores. Um, and things changed for us, right? So I, I, I think the biggest thing we faced is, again, giving up the fact that you're in control, um, giving up the fact that you're in control and you can control what happens in the next month or, or six months. And we really relied upon the ingenuity of our people in the marketplace. And the, the great part about it is people, people really shined. People stood up. Um, people come, came up with new ideas and, you know, worked harder than ever before, you know, really day and night sitting in, you know, on a couch or sitting in their kitchen to come up with ideas to reframe our business uh, approach. Um, you know, we, I'll give you a great, you know, case in point in China, um, which was, was hit first, right? And we shut down our retail stores in, in China um, which from a percentage wise, our retail stores make up the biggest percentage of the, the revenue there in any country, um, which would be a devastating blow to us. And you know, the, the team acted fast. 
um, the team took the, the database of customers from individual stores and actually with employees in store, started live streaming from stores with our retail employees. And they really reached out because they had the emails from their customers. Um, and they reached out and said, hey, at, at 4 p.m., two of your favorite chocolatiers are going to be on and they're going to be broadcasting live from the Godiva store. And the customers loved it because they had an opportunity to get some really unique content. Our chocolatiers are certainly very friendly and have loyal fans of theirs. So it's an opportunity to sort of be reacquainted. And by the way, we were able to tie it into selling more product. So it's just one example. Um, but I would say uh, that the teams universally stepped up to figure out how to be real agile. Oh, I, I mean, I have to, that's an amazing story and it's inspiring to hear you speaking about the team that way. Um, but here we are, we're talking with the chief innovation officer of the company and you're telling me that the innovations just came out of, you know, the store associates in China. So, you know, this wasn't your grand vision of, of them live streaming and everything else. It was what sounds like happened you know, due to the environment, right? And in order for that to happen, there has to be a culture of innovation. There has to be, you know, the, the environmental factors for people to feel comfortable coming forward with, with ideas like that. So um, I'm, I'm going to put it back to you and giving you some credit for creating that environment, right? Like, how do you think about that? How do you create an environment that encourages innovation, you know, people to come forward with their, with their ideas like that? Look, I I think it starts and it starts with knowing your brand, right? It starts with knowing the guardrails of the brand, and you know if you don't have questions about the guardrails of your brand going into something like this, you know certainly it can turn into chaos. It it for us knowing that the mission of our brand and we have a unique mission. We have what I would call as an audacious mission. Uh, about opening people's eyes to a more wonderful world. Um, that was our mission, certainly pre-COVID. And when COVID hit, it was all of a sudden like, wow, can we keep up with that mission of opening people's eyes through our product, through our people, through our, our purpose? Um, but the fact that people kind of are embedded to that, they know their brand thick and thin, really allows us in the end to empower people also. Because, you know, as a culture of empowerment, um, certainly did it, did it make me nervous, the thought of chocolatiers going on live stream? Um, sure, it, it, it makes one nervous. Um, but I saw the work, the work was shared with me. Um, we knew it was going on. And by the way, our, our chocolatiers know this brand as well as anybody because prior to COVID, they were educated on the brand. They knew the guardrails of the brand. And again, they, they certainly own the brand as, as much as anybody. So I, I think the, the foundation of the brand being strong really allowed people to adapt what's relevant for their market, what's relevant for their channel without the head of marketing and innovation having a major freak out. <laughs> that's okay. That's great. Those guardrails in place. And then also obviously a lot of trust, you know, um, 
So you've, you've talked about trust in the people and empowering the people. You've talked about the importance of the brand and having clear guardrails for the brand. But you're also somebody who has built a lot of teams, very different types of teams over the course of your career. Obviously, you know, in the current environment that we're in right now, it's everything's different, right? You're, you're probably not seeing your direct reports on a daily basis. And, you know, like just, just everything has changed in terms of how we interact with our own teams. So how has this impacted your perspective on building teams and team dynamics? Has it changed or are there just sort of truisms that you think remain? Yeah, I mean, I think there are certainly truisms that that remain, right? And, you know, truisms that remain are as leaders, we we work for the employees, right? As as leaders, our job is to bring energy to situations. It's to like I like to say, bring oxygen to the room. Um, so when you walk into the room, it's not a dread. It's actually oxygen on top of that fire and gets people people really excited. Um, that that doesn't change. Um, and you know, a, a principle of of empowerment um, that every one of my employees feels like they're the CEO of their project, of their brand, um, and they they own that, right? So uh, I, I think through COVID, Certainly there was a, a challenge all of a sudden overnight, do we see faces, do we not see faces? Um, but in the end, in a strange way, it became a great equalizer for a company such as Godiva that is super international. And so now, as opposed to the team in China or the team in Belgium, you, you would be on conference calls before with them, but you wouldn't always see people's faces. And to be honest, the, the voice at the table from some of the outer reaching markets that weren't in this physical office, it just natural, the presence wasn't there. So with COVID, we started daily huddles. So all of a sudden my direct report team, which included Turkey, Belgium, China, North America, we saw everybody's faces every day. We saw everybody's faces every day. Um, and we had conversations like the Brady Bunch you know, you're sitting there on that Brady Bunch screen and you're talking. Um, we, you know, you got to know people's lives a little bit better um, and you got to know their cats and their dogs and, and all of that. So that communication, you know, we checked in often um, and, you know, we checked in on each other. We made it a point that it wasn't an option. Um, you, you were as a leader expected to do daily huddles. And that went from me to my leaders in the place. And you were expected to show your face, not to have the name on the screen on a Zoom. That was not okay. And we'd call people out for it. Um, I'm a guy who went into uh, COVID. I, I still don't FaceTime my wife. Um, I, I wouldn't do Skypes, I'm just like not into that. Now, if, if I don't see a face in a conversation, it's really, really odd. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think as, uh, as getting through that, it's, it's been amazing for us. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the debate of from office or not office. Um, uh, that's a whole HR study. I, I'm not smart enough to understand. Um, but I'd say we worked our well, really, uh, ourselves really well through COVID in that we've kept together as a team. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly feel as bonded to our team you know, as I, as I did going in. 
Well, and it sounds like you're you're advocating, regardless of what the remote versus in-office situation ends up being, that the the video conference aspect of, of communicating with our teams is here to stay. Uh, it's mandatory. It really, really is um, to look people into the in the eye, you know, to to get people on on one screen together. You know, hey, it's a little bit odd right now. I'm in the office um, in New York City five days a week. Um, I'm now in meetings um, with two people in my office and five people on a, a Zoom call. Is that ideal? Mm, probably not. So I, I think we are now into this hybrid stage that's probably the most uncomfortable. I was literally in a meeting this morning, the young lady on the office next to me and one down the hall, and it was a Zoom meeting and I had to call it out. I'm like, guys, we're, we're all here. We're, we're like, we're gonna do a Zoom. Are we really gonna do that? Mask up and come on down. And uh, you know, that, that human interaction does make a difference. Um, I, I don't, you know, I miss the five minute, you know, hallway chats that I can solve some issues with um, that I now have to have a five minute Zoom scheduled or whatnot. Um, I, I certainly miss that. And as people start to come back, I get energy out of the people, right? I, I, I certainly feed off the energy of the team. I think our team, you know, does that as well. So it's a little bit different on a flat screen. Um, well, and that, that concept of energy is a good thing to pick back up on because you mentioned it earlier as well and bringing oxygen into the room as a leader. And it's actually so my favorite definition of leadership comes from an MBA textbook that is otherwise completely skippable. But the one thing that was that was a takeaway is it said that leadership is about managing energy first in yourself, then in those around you which I thought was just really so simple, but um, to the point, you know, and when, when we look at a brand like Godiva, you have an interesting balance of a brand that's been around for 95 years. And yet you're really the guy bringing energy, breathing energy into this brand and balancing new product innovations, new SKUs, bringing new things to the market with a heritage brand that people, you know, want to have a, a long-term relationship with. So, just what what is your thought process behind that balance of you know bringing new and and constantly bringing something new versus sticking with the 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 heritage? Yeah, I mean you know we're we're lucky in that we have a playbook that uh, was given to us by the the Draps family, Pierre Draps Jr., our 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 founder of the of the business, right? And he famously invented truffles um, after World War II with the simple goal of making people happy, right? That was the goal. And, uh, you know, today, ironically, we find ourselves owned um, by a, a, a company called Yildiz. And uh, the, the motto of the, you know, chairman of Yildiz, Murat Oker, is make happy, be happy, right? And, you know, as I said, I pontificate on all the time, opening people's eyes to a more wonderful world as, as a brand mission, right? All of those are, you know, centered back on a pretty fun job of, you know, making people's day a little bit better. And uh, that's what we need to do. So, you know, whether it was a truffle in 1942 or in 2021, it's signature mini bars from Godiva. 
um, that you can get in a grocery store. In each case, we want to deliver an amazing product experience, our Godiva chocolate, our Godiva Kuvature, um, that again, promises to, to make your day just a, a little bit happier. Again, you know, science will tell you that factually uh, chocolate can boost your mood. Um, so uh, we believe there's some science to it, although we're, we're not gonna go down that road, um, but uh, it's, it's the mission of, of the brand. So uh, we need to evolve. Um, we are evolving in to meet different channel needs that are uh, sitting in front of us today. Um, but we learn a lot from our, our history. And again, I, I love a brand that has roots. I, I love a brand that is steeped in authenticity. And uh, certainly we are a brand that is steeped in an authentic story that if you ask anybody at Godiva, one employee, they'll tell you very quickly about the foundations of this brand. That's important to keep into our heart and the soul of the brand, but we're also looking forward. Well, and you've done a, an amazing job of, of leveraging that authentic heritage into a modern purpose. And it's something that, you know, I keep, it's like every, every month that goes by, I see more and more of these, there's like purpose discovery workshops and, you know, different ways of creating your purpose. And it's like, I, I always look at these things, like if it's not obvious what your purpose is, then you probably are missing something, right? But just making everybody's day a little bit better with a truffle. I mean, that, that's as simple as it gets, right? And I, and I, and I think importantly, you know, we, we want to make our people's day a little bit better, right? So I think internally, you know, making sure you don't just live that for uh, what are you going to do for somebody who is purchasing your product on shelf, but are, are we opening our employees' eyes to a, a more wonderful world? Um, and then in the, in the things that surround us and in, in how we conduct business externally, um, what do we mean to the, to the, to the balance of the, the ecosystem in the world? Are, are we making the world a better place as, as well? Um, it's, it's a lot on the plate. Um, you know, there's not a night I go home and say, gosh, mission accomplished. Like there's not, which is fun, right? Wake up every day and come in and say, okay, there's a hundred things on the list to do to make the world a better place. Um, and, and we've got opportunities with people and, and chocolate and sustainability and, and, you, and you name it. Um, but that makes it fun. And it's interesting, you know, you've opened the door to sort of the societal responsibility, you know, that we have as as companies today. And it's it's more so than ever before, right? I mean, there are, there is a vacuum that's been created by, um, you know, lack of trust in government, lack of trust in, in larger organizations and things like that, that have been, you know, uh, have been increasing. And companies are now being asked to step in and, and play that role of sort of leading societal conversations and, um, you know, being a, a role model in many ways. So I'm curious, you know, from where you stand, because, you know, you've talked about this now, sustainability and, and um, giving back to employees and those kinds of things. But just how do you think about, you know, the role of the company? You still have shareholders, you still have business responsibilities, but, you know, you also have to play a role in society. Yeah, I mean, and this is where the conversation today gets tricky, dangerous, um, you know, people take words a lot of different ways these days. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I'll give you my, my point of view. 
Um, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a, a Godiva point of view, but I think as a, as a brand person, it's, it's important that you also have to understand you're not, you're not asked to be a spokesperson for every cause. You don't have a role in every cause. Uh, a discussion is going on on a table at the restaurant next to you and you find it interesting, topical. You don't run from your table and go and jump into that conversation just because you think you have something to say. Um, I, I think it's, it's an interesting one in that, again, most importantly, you, you as, a, as a brand owner or as a company have to pick the spots where you have credibility, where you're doing something um, or, or whether you plan on pivoting dramatically and doing something in the future. Um, but not every company, I believe, has to be a spokesperson on every cause. It just doesn't make sense. Um, I think you should be having conversations about it. Um, we, we've had major conversations this year as a, as a company, albeit a lot of them on Zoom, um, you know, coming out of what was pretty you know, turmoil filled summer and spring in, in, in the US. Certainly we, we had a lot of conversations about diversity and inclusion, um, but it started internally and it, it started looking at ourselves and understanding, you know, what were our strengths, what were our, our opportunities. Um, I, I had a, a gentleman on, on uh, my team start a diversity and inclusion conversation on, on Zoom once a month for our, our team. And it became a safe place for everybody, you know, just within my little organization to come and talk and give their experience. Um, and, and, and again, not be, you know, judged or anything on it. And there were some amazing stories about our employees and really how they were feeling about diversity and inclusion internally and externally. But I think, you know, it's kind of got to start to make sure your, your own house kind of knows where you all feel. Um, and then if there's cases, you know, where it is relevant to who you are, then jump on in for sure. At Godiva, we're a, a company that 75%, you know, women directors and above. So do I feel we have a space to, to play and, and talk about, you know, female empowerment in, in that case or a, a Me Too movement in that case? We probably have a good conversation space to play in. Um, but there are other conversations that, again, we've got internal conversations to have, work to do before we go out and really need to, uh, to put our voice into a conversation. Maybe we need to listen more so than talk. I think that really continues your theme from earlier about authenticity um, and, and making sure you can authentically speak about something before you, you weigh in. But if we think about um, you know, some of the other turmoil from last year, you know, COVID obviously changed behaviors when it comes to shopping, gift giving, just consumption in general for the whole food and beverage category. Um, your biggest news from Godiva lately has been you know, a focus to, to really, a decision to focus really in online sales and CPG. Um, so what was the thinking behind this and, and what are the implications for the brand moving forward? Sure. Uh, look, um, we, we've been in the world of food, drug, mass, CPG since, I, I, I know at least 2010, it, it could have actually been earlier, I, I wasn't here. 
Um, we've been in the world of, of e-commerce for, for quite a few years as well. Um, but the world of COVID really asked us to, uh, to, to think on prioritization regionally uh, across the globe, you know, more so than, than ever before. One of the, the challenges consumers give to us on, on brand health uh, studies they have a lot of really nice things to say about us, but if, if I was to pick the most negative thing they have to say is that accessibility is not there for Godiva. They don't believe we're available everywhere they want to buy chocolate. And we certainly want to be available everywhere they buy chocolate. So, uh, you know, two of the biggest channels of access, e-commerce and the world of food, drug, mass. Um, we've been playing in those channels. However, uh, we, you know, we had the mission of, let's call it doubling down our, our focus on those channels. When you're an omni-channel brand, um, and, I, and I think I'd calculate us being in 11 channels, right? 11 channels of business. And uh, every channel can't get treated equally. So you start shutting, you know, doors of, of uh, stores as, the, as the COVID happened and, you know, malls were shut down you know, naturally you, you had to up your game elsewhere. And the good news is consumers responded to it uh, on e-commerce. You know, we were shutting down right in the middle. Uh, the malls were shutting down Access Godiva right in the middle of Easter and Mother's Day. And the amazing part is people wanted Godiva chocolates um, and they were going to find it. And we let them know, by the way, that it was available online. And, you know, our, our, uh, sales just became through the roof and it really just became a matter of can we supply everything they're looking for um so the great news is again you know we we put ourselves out there people responded it, it was amazing in the world of food drug mass grocery again it's a place we've been but we also needed to up our game um and we continue to uh up our game there that that's certainly from an accessibility perspective it's every day versus, you know, a number, let's call it in the hundreds of retail outlets Godiva has around the world with the, you know, FDM business, you can be in hundreds of thousands of locations. And so that's where we're leaning into. I think that's, that's great. It's a great example of, you know, again, modernizing a heritage brand. So John, just one last question for you here is, and again, this is as somebody who's got a background in PR, advertising, experiential, the whole nine, you've hung the banners yourself. Um, you know, as we, a lot of the, 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 the conversations we're engaging in today um, in the industry tend to circle around this concept of earned creative, right? So creative ideas that can take on a life of their own, even without paid media, you know, amplifying them. I'm curious, what is your perspective on the role of earned creative, um, you know, and vis-a-vis -vis all the other, you know, marketing efforts that you, you know, you have going on? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it, it's one that remains a, a little bit out there in front of us in terms of grasping that and, and really having, you know, excellence in, in that area. Um, I, I would look at that and say, you know, the world of PR, the world of content creation um, is, is an area that, quite honestly, we have to step up our, our game. If I, if I looked at a challenge, I, th I think one of the things, especially when you're a premier, you know, pristine luxury brand is how much you're able to flex, right? How much am I able to give up from a user-generated content perspective? 
how much am I willing to flex on having different content creators touch the brand and give their their spin on it? Um, ideally, you know, we have more and more content, you know, coming our way. Um, but you know, even real time through um, through COVID, we did some uh, at home cooking with our chefs, right? And they're cooking from their kitchen, which again, everybody's like, this is a great idea. Let's have the chefs cook in the home and let's showcase that. And then when you started to see the video and as a premier luxury brand, you're like, well, the lighting's not great. Do we really like the way the chocolate looks? And somebody pulled me aside and said, John, that's, that's what's happening in reality every day in the world. That's what people are seeing online. You, you've got to get over it. Um, so that's something I'm still struggling with. So did you get over it or? <laughs> I I definitely, obviously, I didn't get over it. Um, no offense to our chefs. I think they do a fabulous job. But the way, you know, we want to represent our brand um, out there, um, you know, and, and putting that into, let's call it, an, you know, an unearned hand um, can be twisted a lot of different ways. So uh, I think it's one where I, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's on the mind. It, it kind of hits in my mind at about, you know, 1030 at night when I'm going to bed, because I think it's such a rich, rich opportunity. Um, I want the John Galloway Godiva content studio. Um, I, I want us to be banging out more and more. And I, and I, and I think, you know, we've got really talented people in our organization um, that can make that happen. Um, we've just got to find the right unlocks. Well, I think that's that's a great way to wrap up our conversation. Um, thank you for sharing all your insights today, John. I know people are going to be really excited to listen. So um, thank you for your time and your insights. And best of luck here uh, with as we hopefully, you know, have a completely different year um, here in 2021 than we did last year. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with John Galloway. Number one. Get your guardrails in place to disaster-proof your brand. The past year was extremely challenging for most brands, but the brands who weathered the storm the best were the ones who had the strongest sense of who they are. The best way to respond to tragedy is with authenticity, which can only come from a brand who knows its identity, its mission, its purpose, and its overall reason for being. Having a handle on this enables you to not only act fast in real time, but it enables your team to do so as well. If your company has a universal understanding of your brand's true identity, you can move fast faster and further in a crisis by giving more autonomy to your employees. This was a key element of John's ability to weather the storm of 2020, which was by hanging true to Godiva's North Star of opening people's eyes to a more wonderful world. Number two, stick to your cause. This is an interesting, albeit controversial topic. Godiva is very cause oriented, but John recommends picking a cause and sticking to it, investing in it and focusing on it. In a world where there unfortunately is a lot of bandwagon CSR activity, people can spot greenwashing or any other kind of washing a mile away. Sticking to one cause not only prevents you from watering down your company's footprint in a specific cause, but it's the kind of dedication that can affect real change, all while showing your customers that you're dedicated and that you're the real deal. Number three, show your face. This is a simple one, but potentially powerful. 
In our Zoom-driven world, it's very easy to turn the camera off and listen in on meetings as Zoom fatigue is actually a real thing. However, John claims that keeping the cameras on creates more energy, fosters community, and makes the meetings more productive. Today, a key element of retaining your staff is ensuring that they feel like they're part of a real community and having everyone see everyone else does that. Also, studies show that when people go through the motions of looking good and dressing their best to prepare to be on camera, they're naturally more optimistic and productive, which we could all use more of. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.